All right. Well, good morning again. Thank you for that. I just want to say uh, we are really, really excited to be back here. Gala and I love this place and love uh, you people more than you know, and we're, we're excited to be here. Before we go any farther this morning, though, will you pray with me? Father, as we take time this morning to study your word, I ask that you speak to us individually. Show us who we can love better. Show us how we can love better. Forgive us for relying on our own strength and not your love and provision. Forgive us for living for us and not for better loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. Give us your wisdom. It's in your name I pray. Amen. All right. Well, this morning we're going to talk about love. And specifically, we're going to talk about how we love the world around us and our brothers and sisters in Christ. So our, our church here at Cornerstone. And to begin with, I, I think it's good for us to have a common definition of just what the church is. So what is church? What is church? The followers of Christ. Yeah, absolutely. What else? Fellowship. Good. Anything else? Place to come to learn. Absolutely. I'm sorry, say that again? Praise the Lord. Absolutely. Yeah. And we covered it really well. Um, but the list I found from Nine Marks, which is a group out of uh, Washington, they came up with five principles of what the church is. We're a group of Christians. That seems obvious. We gather really re uh, regularly gather together, and we have congregation-wide exercise of affirmation and oversight. And we gather with the purpose of officially representing Christ and his rule on earth. So we come here and we get equipped so that we can go out and we can be ambassadors for Jesus Christ in Lawrence, Kansas. We get to be his ambassadors to the people of Lawrence, Kansas. And that's a big honor. That's a big responsibility. And then we also come back here so that we can use uh, preaching and the ordinances so that we can grow and so that we can better serve the people around us. <clears throat> The church isn't a, a civic organization like the Red Cross, and it's not a club like the Rotary. It's a family of born-again believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, who are supernaturally brought together by the Holy Spirit for fellowship, for love, for building each other up. And really, we're a contrast community. What I mean by a contrast community is in a world that lives for self, in a world that lives for pleasure or money or anything else, we as the church live differently. We are set apart. We are, we are a uh, city on a hill. In his book, Light to the Nations, Michael Going writes that this contrast community, this church that we're in, offers justice in a world of injustice. It's a place of generosity and simplicity in a consumer world. We offer selfless giving in a world of selfishness. We are a bold and humble witness to the truth in a world that only offers uncertainty. And then lastly, we offer hope in a world of disillusionment. But ultimately, the core of living differently in this world is we have to love differently in this world. The world will know we are Christians by our, by our love. That's right. Not by our words, but by our deeds, how we love. We love Christ. We love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we love the world around us. Real fast, I want to say we can't take for granted the privilege and the blessing that it is for us to all come together here at Cornerstone or at any other church. 
There are many Christians who are persecuted, who are dispersed, who are scattered or homebound or just don't have a church home. I remember being a 17-year-old high school kid, and I recognized that I did not agree theologically with the church I grew up in. So I left the church I grew up in, and I, I visited churches by myself. I remember being alone. I remember not having the community, the fellowship where we build each other up and not being a part of a local church. It's something we can't take for granted. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, The Christian cannot simply take for granted the privilege of living among other Christians. Jesus Christ lived in the midst of his enemies. In the end, of, uh, in the end all his disciples abandoned him. On the cross, he was alone, surrounded by criminals and the jeering crowds. He had come for the express purpose of bringing peace to the enemies of God. So Christians, too, belong not in the seclusion of a cloistered life, but in the midst of enemies. There they find their mission. There they find their work. So we have to cherish our time together. We have to cherish this place. We have to cherish our time together. But ultimately, we come here so that we can go out and reach the people out there, right? We come together here so we can go love the people around us, so we can love each other and love the people around us. We have to go carry out our mission, and part of that mission is loving each other and serving each other here as well as outside those doors. I can't love Lawrence, Kansas. I can't love God the way that I need to if I can't love Jerry Taylor, okay? If I don't love my brother Jerry Taylor, nothing else is going to work right. We need to be all in together, and we need to be better together. If we're going to do this, we have to value love and value and respect, and we have to build each other up right here at Cornerstone and around the world. And we're going to do it without bias. We're going to do it without judgment, without prejudice, and without expecting anything back in return. And we're going to do it at the cost of our own comfort. We're going to spend... Uh, the, the rest of our morning this morning in the book of Galatians, the letter to the church in Galatia. And in the letter, Paul reminds the church that they need to embrace the gospel message of the crucified Messiah. He's also going to write to remind them that they are no longer tied to Jewish customs and to address libertinism that's prevalent in the region. So a libertine is somebody who is devoid of most moral principles. They don't have a sense of responsibility. They don't have sexual restraints. And they ignore the social morals or norms of the society around them. Does that kind of sound like some of the people in our society today? Yeah, this isn't anything new, which is comforting to me. If you have your Bible, let's go ahead and open to Galatians chapter 6. We're going to pick it up in verse 2. Okay. Verse 2 says, Carry one another's burdens. In this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. That's the heart of what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to carry one another's burdens, and in doing so, we're going to fulfill the law of Christ. So, what's it mean to carry one another's burdens? And, or first, what, what is a burden? So, in the New Testament, this word, burden, is used to reflect the unchanged participation of Christians in earthly oppression. So, what I mean is, my life changed when I became a Christian. But I suffered before, and I still suffer today. And that's because we live in a fallen world. We live in a world where sin is out there. And that suffering, that's that burden that we're talking about. It's that weight that weighs us down. And it's our responsibility to go out and help other people carry that weight, carry that suffering. We endure suffering and burdens this side of heaven. Romans 8.18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. We will suffer. But it's nothing compared to heaven. Uh, and my friend Andy said just this last week, 
this life right here, right now, this is our only chance at suffering. And I think there's some comfort in that. Suffering may be the, and is probably certainly the worst thing that we will go through. But in light of eternity, it's not so long. It's not so bad. As disciples, it's our duty to carry one another's burdens, especially the burdens of our brothers and sisters of Christ in this church. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Church, we need each other. Jay Stout wrote, God's comfort was not given to Paul through his private prayer and waiting upon the Lord, but through the companionship of a friend, through the good news with which he brought. Human friendship, in which we bear one another's burdens, is part of the purpose of God for his people. So we should not keep our burdens to ourselves, but rather seek a Christian friend who will help us bear them with us. Bearing burdens is ultimately an act of humility. When we go out and we love, serve, encourage, build up, and suffer with other Christians, we are putting their needs before us, and we're also putting the banner of Christ before us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer again wrote, One can joyfully and authentically proclaim the word of God's love and mercy with one's mouth, only when, uh, only where one's hands are not considered too good for deeds of love and mercy and everyday helpfulness. So ultimately, I have to love everyone. I'm not too good to help anyone, and there's no one who is too far gone that is not worth helping. We love everybody. We instinctively tend to limit for whom we, we help. We do it for people like us and for people whom we like. But Jesus will have none of that. By depicting a Samaritan woman helping a Jew, Jesus could not have found a more forceful way to say that anyone at all in need, regardless of race or politics or class or religion, is your neighbor. Not everyone is your brother or sister in faith, but everyone is your neighbor, and you must love everyone. Christ, then, is the ultimate example for bearing each other's burdens. We look to Christ and his pattern. Even if we consider only what's written about Jesus in the book of Galatians, I mean, we could look all over the Bible, but if we only look in the book of Galatians, we see passages uh, like our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present age. That's chapter 1. Or in chapter 2, the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Chapter 3, about Christ who redeemed us from the curse of law by becoming a curse for us. Probably alluding to this idea of a burden-bearing scapegoat. Richard Longenecker wrote, uh, to this we may add the phrase the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, a shorthand way of speaking of his obedience, even unto death on the cross in conformity with God's plan that we bear the burden of punishment for human sin. Furthermore, we must take account of the language in Galatians, both by Paul and other Christians, bearing the image of Christ, even the image of his passion. Paul understands his own life as a recapitulation of the life pattern shown forth in Christ. So we have to live up to the same pattern that Jesus has for his life. We live that out in our life, too, where we empty ourselves for the good of the people around us. If we keep looking at other parts of the Bible, Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 3. Now we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not to please ourselves. Each one of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself. On the contrary, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. 
So what's this look like in today's world? So during the week, I work as an information security engineer for public schools. I work in technology support. We fix technology issues, but really we serve a community. Um, we're a serving community, and we take care of people without expecting anything back. When we go to work, when we go to school, where we go anywhere else, we serve other people without expecting anything back for us. And it can be really hard because our worldly side wants us to get the glory that's due to us, to get the honor, to get the praise, to get the attention. But if we really do our work expecting nothing in return, then we're doing it just as Christ would do to that work. What I think is powerful is that all people can change the way they love and the way that they care for other people. Paul transformed from someone who killed Christians to someone who was willing to die for Christ. We need to reflect that transformation as well. We can't love the way the world does or the way we used to. The world sees how we love, and it judges us based on that. They notice us. Uh, Heinrich Hein was an 1800s German poet. He was not a Christian, but he wrote, Show me your redeemed life, and I might believe your Redeemer. That is, the way you live, do other people see Christ in you? The way you love, does it point people to Christ? Longenegger wrote, uh, writes one more time, we must bear one another's burdens, which, of course, is the exact opposite of libertine attitudes based on the desire to live solely for one's own self. The whole intent of Jesus' example and teaching comes to the fulfillment in the church. We come together. We set down all the pain. We set down all of our wants. We set down everything else that we might come together so we might love each other, so we might serve each other and build each other up. If we go back, so this is bearing each other's burdens. We see that at the end of verse 2, we do this to fulfill the law of Christ. Um, so what, what is the law of Christ? We look at this. We can see a few passages that's going to give us some reminders. So John chapter 13, I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You're also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. James 2, indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in Scripture, Love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. And then Matthew chapter 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and all your, uh, with all your soul and all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So that's it. That's the royal, uh, royal law, the golden rule, the law of Christ. It's all summed up right there. We have to love other people. We're to love everyone just as Jesus did. We do it humbly. We serve each other, and we don't show favoritism. Ultimately, uh, we're talking about serving one another in Christian service and in love when we talk about bearing one another's burdens. When I bear your burden, that's me loving you. <clears throat> the law of Christ is a law of forbearance. Forbearance just means enduring and suffering. The other person is a burden to the Christian. In fact, for the Christian most of all. But we endure the burden for the sake of Christ. We do it for the church. We do it for our brother and sister. And we don't do it you know, just for our own glory. It would be much easier if I didn't have to help people. So if I, if I go back to my work, if I didn't have to answer the phone and help people, my job would be so much easier, right? Uh, the schools would be so much easier if there weren't teachers and students to help. But that's not the way it is. And it's the same in our, in our life here. It'd be easier if we didn't have to help, but we get to help. We get to go help other people. And you know what? The kingdom of God is strengthened, and I am better for doing it. Further, this service isn't begrudging or re 
reluctant or forced, but rather it's compelled only out of love. Not our fame, not attention, not praise, not legalism, but love. <clears throat> Jared Wilson, uh, who actually passed away earlier this week, said, loving others isn't about us at all. And until that sinks in, we'll never be able to love the way that Christ loved. It isn't about me. I need to get out of the way. As we keep going, verses 3 through 4 say, For if anyone considers himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each person examine his own work, and then he can take pride in himself, uh, in himself alone and not compare himself with, other, uh, with someone else. Verse 3 may not begin a subject. Rather, it's going further with this idea of helping other people. Paul is going after people who think they are something, but in fact they're nothing. And really, the more we think about it, um, the more we mature in Christ, we recognize that we are nothing outside of Jesus Christ, outside of our identity in Jesus Christ. On my own, I am a sinner condemned to death. But Jesus Christ is where my hope is. Jesus Christ is all. Okay? So we are sinners condemned to death, and it's only because of Jesus Christ that I have any boast. This chastisement here is for people who, are, who think they are too good or too busy or too great to take up the suffering of the people around them. This stands in contrast to the pattern of Christ. Again, Christ is someone who empties himself out, even to the point of death, for the brother and sister next to him. Paul here is, is making a reference to those who are not following the pattern of Christ, the way they live, the way they behave. And these are people who are basing their estimate of life on the basis of false criteria, what they think rather than who they are. If I read 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, the one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. That is, if I want to be intimate with Jesus Christ, I have to live the way that Jesus Christ lived. We have to test our motives and make sure that our pride doesn't get in the way. All of us must keep a proper opinion of ourselves and our work. We may become conceited and think that we have no sins, Especially if we're busy helping other people and we see their sin, we might overlook the sin in our own life. Humility is being able to recognize the good that you do and praising God that he made it possible. But I also praise God when someone else does that good deed too. I don't get jealous that it wasn't me doing it or me getting the attention. And you know what? It's not a show. This is something that I've struggled with. Am I doing good so that people can see me do good or am I doing good so that people can see Jesus Christ? Let me say this another way. Am I doing this because I want people to love me, or am I doing this because I want people to love God? Let's keep going. Verse 5 says, For each person will have to carry his own load. If we look at this and we look back to verse 2 and verse 5, they kind of they might seem like they're at odds with each other because verse 5 will tell us to carry each other's burdens. While verse, uh, or verse 2 says that, while verse 5 tells us that we will have to carry our own load. Two different words are used in the original language. In verse 2, it's a, the idea of a burden is a weight that is crushing that person down. Okay, So we go out and we help them carry or pick up that burden so it doesn't crush them. Where in verse 5, the word that's used is the idea of a soldier who is carrying his backpack, who's carrying his pack with him, carrying his weight. We each have a personal responsibility, and no one uh, can accept that but us, for us. Romans chapter 2 tells us he will repay each one according to his works. Adam tried to believe Adam tried to blame Eve. Eve tried to blame the snake. God held them both responsible for their actions. We have a responsibility. 
we all have to give an account to God for how we love. Be responsible for carrying your burdens while still looking out for the needs of others. This takes initiative and living intentionally. We have to live this out with purpose and not let our busy schedules or the world dictate how we're going to love people. This idea, though, makes me think of those pre-flight safety checks when you're on an airplane where they tell you if in flight the oxygen mask dropped down, you put your mask on first before you help somebody else. The idea, you save yourself before you save someone else. And that doesn't totally apply here. That doesn't mean that I get to wait until I'm perfect before I go help somebody. Right? That doesn't mean I get to wait to help people. Rather, we're in this together. We get better together, and we are better together. As we keep going, uh, we're going to skip a few verses and pick it back up in verse 9. Verse 9, let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Don't, don't get tired. I think it's interesting that Paul felt the need to remind us, to remind believers to not get tired. Uh, Calvin writes here about this passage that this precept is especially necessary because we are naturally lazy in the duties of love. And many little stumbling blocks hinder and put off even the well-disposed. We meet with many unworthy, many ungrateful people. The vast number of the needy overwhelms us. We are drained by paying out on every side. Our warmth is damped by the coldness of others. Finally, the whole world is full of hindrances which turn us aside to, from the right path. Therefore, Paul does well to confirm our efforts so that we do not get tired, so we do not get weary. I know many of you in this room would do absolutely anything for anyone else in this room. Don't stop. Don't stop. I also know, however, uh, when it comes to serving and your love language through serving, that moving a refrigerator for someone or cleaning their gutters or doing something like that that's physically demanding might not be what you're capable of. And you know what? I'm aging out of that as well. I don't know that moving refrigerators is how I want to help people anymore either. But as we look at this, what you do have is wisdom. What you do have is friendship. What you do have is acts of kindness. What you do have is Carol's corn casserole or Beva's apple pie. All these are things that the next generation long for. We don't need someone who can lift boulders. We need someone who can model for us what Christian marriage looks like after 50 years. We need someone who can model for us what it looks like to faithfully endure in the race for Christ. What we need is for someone who will pray for us without ceasing. That's how you can serve our brothers and sisters in Christ. <clears throat> Ultimately, church, we have to do something. So, Cornerstone, do something. Love someone. Love everybody. Don't stop. Rick Warren said, faithful servants never retire. You can retire from your career, but you never retire from serving God. If I go back up and we look in the passage again, uh, it mentions that we do this as we have opportunity. I'm going to rephrase this, and I hope that Paul doesn't mind. Ultimately, we do this uh, instead of as we, as we have opportunity, we make the opportunity. We make the time. We rearrange our schedule because the other person is worth it. The London Transit Authority was being uh, bashed by the public some years ago. The bus drivers were going right past passengers who were waiting to be picked up. The authorities released a statement and it said, it's impossible for us to maintain our schedules when we always have to stop and pick up passengers. 
we can't escape our responsibility here, church. We don't manage our, uh, manage our time ourselves, but we allow it to be occupied by God. We don't need an appointment to love somebody, and we don't love or serve when we can, but rather it has to be that big block in our life. Uh, what I mean is there are things in our life, if it's important to us, we will make it happen. If it's not important to us, we're going to make excuses. And we can't make excuses when it comes to loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. We have to go out of our way. We have to make time on our schedule because they're worth it. There are churches that talk about loving their community, and there are churches that do it. There are churches who talk about being a welcoming church, and there are churches that really are welcoming. Uh, I don't know if I've shared this with you all before or not, but Gail and I have visited churches where not a single person even said hello before, during, or after the service. When I visited Cornerstone the first time, that was not going to happen here. I still remember trying to hide in the back of the church, uh, and Dot Beckner said, no, uh -uh. you're going to sit with me, and you're going to sit right here. I was like, okay. But you know what? Ultimately, she was welcoming. Ultimately, she showed that she loved me. And you know what? Dot Beckner and Cornerstone, they love people, and I appreciate that. Dot said, no, you're sitting next to me. You know what? Cornerstone's an amazing church. I love the people who make it up. Some of you, most of you, all of you are the heroes of my faith. But having said that, we can all do better. We can all love better. We can all love more. David wrote uh, in the first verse of Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. Here in a moment, uh, we're going to pray. And then we're going to sing a song, and you'll have the chance to respond however God is leading you. If you want to join the church, you can come up and meet with your deacons. If you want to pray here at the front, the front will be open, or you can pray with your deacons. Uh, maybe you want to respond to however God is leading you. Just respond that way. Move. Before that, however, I want to close with a few thoughts. Okay. The first is this. We have to go the second mile. I like to think that by worldly standards, I'm a decent enough guy. But you know what? That's not the standard that we're called to live up to. We're not called to live to the world's standards. We're called to live to the standards set forth by Jesus Christ, the model that he gave us, the pattern that he gave us. As most of you know, my dad suffered for years from uh, dementia, and he started to wander the winter before he passed away. He would get up, go out the front door, and without having a warm coat on, he would walk around the neighborhood until somebody found him or until he found somewhere safe. I remember a couple cold nights looking all over the neighborhood for him uh, before I found him at High V. I I gave him a moment to recognize that it was me, his son, not just somebody else. Uh, I, I, I hugged him. I calmed him down. I helped him home. I loved him, but I wasn't patient with him. <clears throat> I rearranged my life for a couple evenings, but I didn't rearrange my life for him, not permanently. I rearranged a couple evenings, but not my life. I loved how I could in the time that I thought I could afford, and that's not how Jesus would have loved. I would go out and find him, but I never did a good job of looking out for him or encouraging him or bearing his burden. Or I think of my friend Andy. My friend Andy got sick with cancer a couple years ago. I did a few things for him. I would pray for him. I would text him. I would encourage him. But I never served or loved until it hurt. I never carried his burden. In both of these instances, my dad and my friend, the world would say, you know, 
you were a pretty good son. You were a pretty good friend. But again, looking back, it haunts me that I was not a better son or a better friend. Listen to me. We're not called to pretty good. We're called to follow Christ's standard for serving others. I'm reminded of Jesus' uh, message in Matthew where he tells us we're not to go one mile with somebody. We are rather compelled to go the second mile. And this idea of me not loving with everything I have haunts me. And it might haunt you too. We need to love everyone as much as we can. Secondly, uh, this message, and this might be for younger people in the room. I know it's certainly for me, but uh, I don't know that age necessarily has anything to do with it because I know my father-in-law has this issue too. Um, I don't think it's possible for us to bear one another's burdens digitally. Okay, What I mean is I don't think through text or emails or anything online we're going to be able to help anybody. Furthermore, arguing with people online probably isn't going to do anything either. Okay, If we want to bear one another's burdens, we have to put these down. If we want to love people, we have to put these down. We can't do it with our phones. We can't love genuinely or intentionally or be present with people when we're buried with going on with what's going on in here. And I'm just as guilty as anybody else. Furthermore, when we are buried in here, we don't see the needs of the people that are right in front of us. We overlook the need and the pain and the love that's right on the other side of this device that we're missing because we're buried in here. Make a difference by putting the device down. Genuinely interact with people. Care for them. Love them. Get out of your way. Get out of. Uh, don't let your business interfere with it. And get out of your phone and love people. Put it down. Go love people. And then lastly, just make it happen. You don't need a title to love somebody. You don't need an office to love somebody. You don't need a license to go love somebody. You don't need a reason to go love somebody. Your reason is that you have a duty as a disciple of Christ to go out and love someone. That's all the reason you need. Cornerstone, love somebody. Love everybody. Love till it hurts. And don't stop. Don't ever stop. Will you pray with me? And uh, we'll have our invitation. Father, thank you for your limitless, matchless love that you offer us. We fall down. We fall short. And yet through it all, while we were still sinners, you sent your son to die for us. Show us how we can better love the world around us and how we can live more intentionally with the time that we have. Give us strength for when we feel weighed down by the world. Give us uh, the opportunity to go help others pick up that weight. Forgive us when we, re, uh, when we rely on pride rather than your strength. Help us love without abandon and without regret. Thank you for Cornerstone. Thank you for the people here. In your name I pray. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.